doing. <sighs> all right, we did. We did X Men. We did yes. old Greta. Uh-huh. We did old Jordan Peele. That's correct. We did the one about the scoundrels. Let us not forget. <laughs> Let us never forget. That, that is something we did. We apologize. <laughs> we have not made up for it yet. Uh, <laughs> we, there is. We did Twilight. Yep. We did Lion King. Uh huh. We have just wrapped up Denny Villeneuve, and we yes. are now wrapping up Scream. That is our eighth series. To say nothing of our mini series. Remember the name. Remember the name. Or the many specials, the, oh, the end yeah. of the year, the Bumtober, the Oscar watch with our friends. Oscar Myers and Kurt Ascar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When will we see them again? Who's who's to say? I guess next Oscar season is when we'll see them again. Our most requested guests, but you know, they're very busy. Yeah. Curtis Gar is a renowned international producer, so and Oscar Myers is in fact a hot dog enthusiast in most of his time. So uh, fantastic. Okay, so should we get into it? Uh, this is yes. Our... Should we talk about Scream? Should we talk about Scream? What has all of this Scream time done to our children? Yeah. What? What? Where has it gotten us all? What have you learned from watching the Scream movies? I think it's been really fun. I love the first one. I think the first one is like a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. But it's been really cool watching the sequels because the sequels are like a totally different thing, but they're all the same thing. (laughs) Like the series of Scream is totally different from the original movie Scream. Mm -hmm. But I think the series is also really fun. Yeah. And I'm like invested in the series things too. And like kind of okay with not expecting it there to ever be like a movie that's like the first. I think that's well put. When you say that, it makes sense because watching Scream by itself, like we did last year around this time, it was it was a complete experience. It was an experience yeah. all in its. It didn't. We didn't need any of the sequels. Like nothing else was necessary. That movie rocks. It is just like it still it like still holds up like crazy. Yeah. Then watching it as part of the series, you're right. It is it like it recontextualizes. It continually goes back to the first movie for source material and like recontextualizes and almost like cheapens stuff from the first movie to like mine gold for the future installments. It's like if all of that stuff becomes canon, then like when you go back and rewatch the first movie, there's like a million other things going on in the background of it. That aren't actually there, or at least weren't actually yes. there in the original telling of it. Yeah. Now, yeah. luckily, no one has gone back over and, like, for instance, digitally re-implanted Mrs. Loomis <laughs> in the background of every shot or something. <laughs> like, no one would ever do that. Uh, that would be unheard of. But, like, thankfully, the first one still stands on its own. I don't think the sequels devalue the original because it just is so different. Yeah. I think. I think by the time you get to Scream 2, like, it's clear that it's sort of um, like a soap opera with the characters. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's going to be with Randy, too. And I think that it is maybe the most brutal thing they do is killing Randy in the second one and never bringing him back, you know? Yeah. And by the time in 2 that you've got Stab, like, now it's on its whole other yeah. level of the meta thing. So it's just not going to be the same as the first one. 
Also, do you think the first one kind of dooms the rest of the series and also all horror ever by having just like a perfect 10 minute opening? What's crazy about that perfect 10 minute opening is Uh that it's like that 10 minute opening is itself an homage to all of these other great classic movies. And he's like taking the best, the very best parts of all of these greats. So it's like distilling everything that came before it. I don't know if it dooms it, but it does like say like, you can't do this better. So you have to do something else. And I Mm -hmm. think, I feel like that movie, that movie does that in a lot of ways. And that the sequels are kind of reckoning with being sequels to a perfect movie, which <laughs> right. is, and I don't think that we have a lot of examples of that. I think we have a lot of examples of movies being sequels to movies that are pretty good, but like very few examples of sequels to movies that are straight up. The original is perfect. Yeah. I think that the first one also has a message, mm-hmm. like both a message, a, a strong message that it's sending to people who love horror movies, mm-hmm. maybe too much. And a strong message it's sending to people who don't like horror movies and think that they're bad. Yeah. Like morally corrupt. That's one of the things I like about four, because I think that's the closest any of the sequels have come to having a message. Yeah. And that one, it's kind of about social media and like what would become in the next few years influence culture that mm-hmm. wasn't even a thing then. Because the characters are tropes in the first one, right? They're like yeah. stock characters. Yeah. And I think that also kind of dooms the sequel because you need to have different stock characters that are not going to be as compelling as the ones you've already used. Yeah. Or you dive back into it and then it's like, okay, we've got another hot cheerleader. We've got another stoner bro. We've got another movie nerd. Mm -hmm. And you're just comparing them to how they were done in the first one. Yeah. Well, and that is like kind of part of what they're toying with in the first one, too, is because like those tropes come up across all horror movies. And you can consider like in some way all slasher movies like it is a very meta genre. Like it's a genre that's always in conversation with itself and paying homage to what came before and like mm-hmm. trying to like on a genre wide scale, like one up each other and each new one wants to like be more gruesome than the last. So you can like look at slasher horror as a genre as being like a series, being at one huge series in the same way that, you know, any one strand of it could be a series. And yeah. you could say that like, criticisms or like trends that they are pointing out in individual movie series are also true over the wider genre. But yeah, that thing about one of them having like them having some sort of message to think the second and third, they get like less and less message driven. And those stock characters, you're right. They do get like stale, but they're also, you don't have time to get into real character development. If everybody's going to be killed off. You also don't have like, there's no obligation to tell any one particular story in the first one. Mm-hmm. So everything just blooms the way it does. But in all the sequels, it's like we have to serve Sydney, Dewey and Gail. Uh-huh. And then like everyone else we introduce is kind of around them or a parallel storyline. Yeah. But you're coming in with that expectation. OK, so you say it's the first one that dooms that. But I think it's the second one that dooms that. Because mm-hmm. if they killed off gail or dewey in the second one then anything goes in a third one and like it's not necessarily about those characters anymore or it's not like so core and like that you know that the main characters will survive yeah i don't know but that's like kind of a harry potter problem too 
you know that they're willing to kill off any side character that you really love, but they're never going to kill off one of the main three. And that's like kind of a storytelling issue. If you don't actually believe that any of those main three can die, then you're just wasting time putting them in pair. Yeah. And you should be putting other people. Yeah. You should put other people that they care about in peril and like watch them react to that. Like Mm -hmm. Batman does. Like, cause you know, Batman's not going to die. So you're going to, you got to fridge people or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, totally. Like, but that, I mean, that's the whole reason because you know, like, you know that that character is so iconic that they can't die, Mm -hmm. which is a flaw. Yeah. Especially a flaw in horror because like in adventure, in like high adventure, in fantasy, even in something like James Bond, like having a character who's so iconic, like Luke Skywalker or James Bond, you know, they're not, you know that they will triumph no time to die no time to die that's a different genre that like follows i feel like a different kind of convention than horror usually does where horror is so like single episode like it's all built around one crisis that everyone in the movie could die and like Mm -hmm. that is those are stakes that you should be walking into every horror movie with is that like everyone i care about in this movie could be dead by the end and i feel like it gets harder and harder to believe that as the scream series goes on I do like that it is a trio Mm -hmm. because I think that's kind of unique in these long running horror franchises. Normally it's the monster or it's the protagonist like Jamie Lee Curtis Mm -hmm. as Laurie Schroed. But it's cool that it is like the three of them are the iconic things about the series. Yeah. The first movie is also this is subjective. All attraction is subjective, as we always say. But to me, the first movie is very sexy in kind of like a dreamlike, surreal sort of way, mm-hmm. none of the other movies are. Like, there's barely any compelling romance whatsoever in any of the other movies. You're right. There is something, like, dreamy about Billy Loomis, even as creepy and gross as he is and turns out to be. This is kind of another t- thing, but I'm not sure if I'm ever convinced that there is, like, a friend group that is as close Mm. as like that group of six friends in the original who all end up killing each other yeah you know yeah we don't really get a sense especially in scream four of like what those people what like the stakes of those people are to each other like who they are to each other much yeah except that they all hate trevor um okay well should we get into the rankings yeah let's do the ranking you want to kick it off yeah okay i'll do it this is easy four movies Scream number three is at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Scream number four is third place. Scream number two at second place. Scream number one at first at a first place that is like stories above Mm -hmm. the second, third, and fourth places. Yeah. Nev, Neve, Campbell. I've been like hot and cold on her acting throughout this thing. But I think like over the course of the whole series, she's like delivering a consistent character. She's always believable. I think she's got Mm that Mark Hamill thing that you talk about sometimes of like, you never doubt the situation. You're never thinking about her acting. So I'm never like, Oh, that's so great. But I'm also never, I'm also always 100% with her. Mm -hmm. And like in moments like of terror and stuff, I'm like, I believe her. And I'm like, they're like believing that she's seeing what she's seeing. And I think that's like, honestly, in a movie like this, that's like the most important, that's the most important part. Um, MVP overall would shout out to her. Yeah. I think she's really good in one and in four in particular. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really excited to see her in the new one. I think yes. 
she has like an awesome like introduction shot in the trailer which is so cool like Mm -hmm. from answering the phone like behind her back and then turning around and you see her and she truly like looks pretty much the same as she has in each of these movies despite almost 30 years passing over the course of them like she has aged unbelievably well yeah all, th- all three of them, really. So still. Wait, how about you? How about your ranking? Very similar. I would say in fourth and last place is Scream 3. Uh-huh. If you can't get Kevin Williamson, if you can't get Neve Campbell for more than two weeks, <laughs> and if you can't have any violence in your movie, maybe don't make a Scream movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's my feeling about Scream 3. And then it's like, then much higher... In third place, I would put Scream 2. In second place, I would put Scream 4. And then, much higher, in first place, I would put the original Scream. Mm. I love the sequences in Scream 2. I am, like, still, I guess, like, six weeks after we watch it, like, thinking about them a lot. Mm. Like, the outdoor sequence where they're running through all the cell phones. Oh, God, yeah, that's so good. The recording booth sequence where that just keeps going on and on. The car. Sarah Michelle Gellar alone in the house. Oh, my God. Taking on the first one. Yeah, those those are unbelievable. That's why that's that's my number two. That's so, so good. I love that stuff. I just don't think like the characters of the story interest me much Mm -hmm. in Scream 2. Even when I was watching it the first time, I was kind of like, okay, (laughs) you know. So that and that's why Scream Four is the second one because I think that's like the only one other than the first that has a good story to me mm-hmm. and is really interesting. And since that one is so referential to the first one, I'm just really interested to see like what they're gonna do with the next one because yeah. it feels like it cannot again be like a take on the first one. Maybe. I mean, I guess it can be, but it feels like it should not be. <laughs> that's when you get into that Lion King thing. Of whatever, four movies being remakes or retellings of the first movie. Yeah. And like one original sequel. Jeez. I guess anything you'd like to see in five or any final thoughts about Scream or Gail Weathers, just to throw out one name. The, the, <laughs> no downfall, the downfall of Gail Weathers over the course of this series <laughs> has been tragic. You know, she had a rise, she had a brief rise and long fall over the course of this series. Truly. She's wonderful in the original, of course, you know, as I used to be 24. I was, I think, the first time I watched this movie, maybe. (laughs) Uh, Then in the second one with that haircut, and she's like really on it in that second one. Yeah. It's like so good. She is really good. Her and Dewey are really good. In the are really one. good in the second one. And and that whole that whole sound booth sequence in the second one that she's in is like probably my favorite sequence of the whole series, maybe. I mean, it's so scary. Yeah. Then for them to do that to her in the third one. The bangs. The bangs, <laughs> the banana suit, everything. It's like it's so bad. I mean the character assassination <laughs> that was committed against this woman. And then for her to like show up in the fourth one as like barely even a character to be replaced by the lemon tart lady is simply inexcusable. <laughs> so that's that's where I come down on that on that particular thing. 
I feel like thinking about stock characters that this might be a stock character you respond very well to. Like the irresponsible female journalist. Just thinking back to remember the name when we watched Richard Jewell and how much you liked Olivia Wilde's drunk uh journalist skulking across town are you saying that i might have a thing for irresponsible journalists i don't know i couldn't imagine i couldn't imagine (laughs) you are the son of a responsible journalist i don't know oh wow wow speculate no more on that there's a there's a whole freudian episode to get into but we shan't (laughs) But your mother uh, is the most ethical journalist. The most ethical journalist I know. In all seriousness. Seriously. And honestly, one of the most badass. Rest in peace to the Ogrecote Current. Yeah, you know, we always say there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Uh-huh. The Ogrecote Current was ethical. <laughs> you could ethically consume it. <laughs> but not anymore. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. Uh, other things about Scream. <laughs> That I like and or think about. Um, This movie series got in my head. Oh, okay. Like, I have had lots of dreams since watching this series Mm -hmm. that were, like, being chased through the house, being attempted to be killed by someone, and or, like, being, like, running around and trying to kill people. Scary-ass dreams that I am going to blame mostly on this movie. (laughs) <laughs> and the stress of moving across the country and then back. I mean, and like the experience of watching this one, the fourth one last night, like alone in a house as everyone else is out at a party, like waiting for the call. That's awesome. I was just like, I mean, it was awesome. It was also terrifying. <laughs> I don't know if I want to take it in again anytime soon because it does kind of like, it, it is like some upsetting images sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. So I think I'm going to go watch something nice like shrek or air buds now <laughs> uh but yeah yeah any final thoughts from you i'm glad we did it it was fun i'm glad we did too um truly wes craven a real genius yeah and yeah true artists and rest in peace rest in peace and power will be missed and i hope that the fifth one can live up to that even in three, which is horrible, like his directing is the only stuff that stands out. Uh-huh. And in the other three movies, like they are just like masterfully directed the way he has teased that out. And it's really cool because you can see you can see separately, like how much of Kevin Williamson and how much of Wes Craven are in each of those mm-hmm. three movies. The cool stuff about the directing has nothing to do with the writing. Yes, that's true. And the cool stuff about the writing has nothing to do with the directing. Like, they're just both, like, giving a very unique thing. And it is the combination of those two things that makes those movies really stand out. And I'll be interested to watch one without either of them. Yeah. But I'm optimistic. That's in January, too. So I think just a couple months we'll be watching that and covering that. On the Sweet. I can't wait to watch one of these in the theaters. I'm going to jump out of my seat. <laughs> I saw the trailer for the new one in the theater. Played really well. People cool. were freaking out about it. So, Wade, would you like to announce what we are doing next? Our last series of 2021? This is our last series of 2021. A very long year, but a very good year in a lot of ways on the podcast. This series will take us through the end of the year. We'll have our annual um, best movies of the year episode, and then we'll start whatever's Bumtober. But 
before that, after this very 90 series, we're going to do a very thousand series. We're going to be covering the work of two writers. We've covered writers before on the podcast and Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig. This is two co-writers and all the films they wrote together. It is Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith, who wrote six movies together. And if the names don't sound familiar to you, maybe their work will. They wrote the following six films in order. Ten Things I Hate About You, Legally Blonde, Ella Enchanted, She's the Man, The House Bunny, and The Ugly Truth. I'm simply overjoyed that we're about to watch something so <laughs> completely different than uh-huh. than Scream. I, I am ecstatic. I'm so excited. Okay, so which of these? I saw 10 Things I Hate About You last year. Mm-hmm. And I watched She's the Man Growing Up. Mm-hmm. That was the only one that was a childhood one for me of these. I saw The House Bunny when it came out in 2008. So I've seen three of the six. I have seen 10 Things I Hate About You like four times in the past three years or something. <laughs> it's about to be five next yeah, week. I, <laughs> I saw Legally Blonde for the first time this spring and loved it. Watched it with my sisters. I think I have seen Ella Enchanted as a kid at some point, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I definitely read the book, so I don't know. Yeah, most of these are adaptations, which I'm sure we'll talk about too. Yeah. In really interesting ways. Two adaptations of Shakespeare plays. Yeah. So the Shakespeare Corner, what was it called? <laughs> the uh... Our Shakespeare segment will be back. Bartolators. I'm just really excited to talk about like these two women and like the incredible influence they had on this era of filmmaking. Mm. Like Yeah. I mean, that's like an amazing amount of hits for two creators. Uh But also, like, I think when you think of other successful movies at the time, they are emulating those movies. That's interesting. Like when I think about uh, Miss Congeliality or How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days or Uh other like rom-coms or family films around this time, I think are trying to do the McCullough and Smith thing. Interesting. But I'm excited to figure out what the McCullough and Smith thing might be. And Me too. to get into that. I'm also excited. I feel like this will be the first time since Gerwig that a series is kind of about like real life issues that could happen to any of us. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, maybe these are like a little bit fun and fantastical, but just like grounded in a way that none of the movies we've done since Gerwig have been. I feel like a, a return to realism. Well, cool. Very excited. Next Tuesday after this will be 10 Things I Hate About You, the first one. Incredible. I cannot wait to talk about it. I love that movie so much. They've said forever that there's some Anna Kendrick Netflix movie that they've written that is like supposedly going to actually be filmed soon. So they could have a comeback before too long. That would be cool, too. If that happens, we'll be there to cover it. Incredible. Well, thank you so much, dear listeners, for uh, sticking with us through all of these series so far. Mm -hmm. For many more to come. Well, stay frosted, everyone. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. 
If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week. 